Welcome to Twice Born Podcasts. My name is Mike Bailey. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to get your feedback. And if you have any questions, please go to twiceborn.net. You can also find us on social media. I hope that you find this podcast helpful and informative. God bless. This morning, we're going to look at that. When I was considering this, um, one of my favorite Christmas books, and also was made into a movie, is Charles Dickens' the, A Christmas Carol. And it's an interesting book if you've read it or if you've watched the movie. Uh, it's a really interesting story. And in the story, it's about a man named Ebenezer Scrooge. How many of you are familiar with Ebenezer Scrooge? How many of you find yourself saying, bah humbug, sometimes? <laughs> right? So my goal is to move from bah humbugs to praise God, right? But in the story, basically when he's a young man, uh, he, falls in with the, uh, he falls in love with a young girl named Belle. And uh, they are in a romance and they grow in their love. But on the side, Ebenezer's growing in love with something else, money. And so they come to this place on a Christmas where she, Belle, confronts him about his love for money. And she says, you love your money, your stuff, your, your positioning more than you love me. And she breaks off their engagement and ends up marrying somebody else. And Ebenezer is heartbroken. And we see throughout the story that this leads him to a miserly life. This leads him to a life of bitterness, a life where uh, he just allows that to grow and to stir and to become more and more unhappy as he grows older. He's a hard-hearted person. He's a, he's a person that's probably not in church this morning, right? He's not too happy about life. He doesn't like what the government's doing. He doesn't like what his neighbors are doing. He's mad that Christmas is a break from his employees, right? He's just upset. He's not happy. There's no joy in his life. There's no peace in his life. There's no hope in his life. But when I look at this story, I see myself. I see us. Because it's really easy when something happens in life that, that hurts, something that happens in life that's painful, for us to allow that seed to grow into bitterness, to grow in, and, and produce things within us we don't want to be in us. And it took four ghosts to haunt him where he saw his past, his present, and his future to help him to realize the joy that can still be in life. And you know, I was thinking about those four ghosts, I was thinking about that's really the position of us. Our responsibility, if you know Christ as your Savior, if you don't know Christ, I'm going to try to be that ghost for you today. But if you do know Christ as your Lord and Savior, our job is to go out and encourage people that there's someone who's established the past, someone who's established the present, and someone who's committed to the future. And it's the only place of joy. It's the only place of hope that there is. And so when I read this and I consider this and I think about wanting to be someone full of joy and full of love, what is going to deter me from that? What is going to keep you from being that person that is full of the joy and love that God has for you? And so as we dive into God's word this morning, the question I want us to look at is, how do we deal with disappointment? In your life, are there disappointments that happened in the past that haunt you in the present? Are there disappointments in your life that you're holding on to this Christmas season and you're not receiving the gift that helps you release those? Are there disappointments in your life that you haven't dealt with that God wants us to deal with today? And so let's go to his word and let's ask him to speak to us and give us wisdom, understanding, and freedom that's only found in him. Let's pray together. 
Father God, I thank you for this day that you've created. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that in these moments we have ears to hear, we have eyes to see. We have these amazing brains that you've given us that can comprehend and understand. But Lord, in the midst of this, we know that there is the curse of sin. There is the disease of sin that even lives within us. It distracts us. It causes us to believe things that are true that are not. It leads us down a path to death. And so we've gathered here to worship you because we know that you have victory over sin. And, and Lord, we also know that you can reveal new things to us today to help us grow and mature and find freedom and victory in you. Lord, you did not need to come to earth, but you chose to with a purpose. That purpose being us. That you would save, seek and save that which is lost. So Lord, help us now as we look to your word. Help us to be transformative in our lives. Help us, Lord, to move forward in the path that you've laid down for us. And Lord, we pray that you'd bless this time as we look into what you have for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at the story of Zechariah, but before we go there, I want to give you some background, because to me, if you're in our Genesis study on Wednesday, or if you've been in our Bible studies, you know that there's so much more than what you were taught in Sunday school as a kid. Uh, there's so much more to God's Word uh, than flannel graph. I love flannel graph, I love kids ministry, but there's so much more. There's such a depth to God's Word, there's so much history, there's so many things He's revealed, so many powerful truths that he has laid down over the years that sometimes we can get to a place uh, where we think we know what the story is. We think we have already grasped it. In reality, we've barely touched the surface and so much of what the Bible teaches us and God has revealed through his word. And so today as we look at this, I want to turn back the clock all the way back uh, to Moses. And if you remember, you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Joseph takes the people to Egypt and then they return uh, because of Moses. God uses Moses to bring them back to the promised land. And while they're doing this, the tabernacle is formed. This is the place where God would be with them. This is the place that later would establish through Solomon in the temple, the Holy of Holies, the place that they could connect to God, the place they could bring a sacrifice, the way God had revealed to them on how to connect to him. And so within the tabernacle, they would have an altar, and on that altar, they would burn incense. And on that burnt altar of incense, it would be as an aroma to God. And in a sense, it was a connection. It was a communication. It was a seeking after. It was prayer to the Father. And so in the tabernacle, the priest would come, and they would pray, and they would burn the incense. Some of you, as you come in, some of you like it, some of you don't like it. But the truth is, is that throughout all of church history, incense has been used as a smell that one of the senses God has given us to remind us of the importance of communicating with God through prayer. That God desires for me every day to take time, moments, hours, days, weeks, where I'm completely in tune with his spirit through prayer. That God can manifest himself even more vividly when I stop and consciously look to the Father and listen and speak. And that to him, those prayers are sweet. They're a beautiful smell. 
It's the fragrance. It's as if he is, he's planted a beautiful garden on earth and we are the plants. And when we pray, we produce this beautiful smell to him that he's been looking for all along. And so in the tabernacle, they had this altar of incense that the priests would go to. Later, we see that the priests then would also come into the holy temple in Jerusalem and they would pray. And this would become a, a, a yearly part of the practice of worshiping. And so every year they would gather, and, and this is where we pick up the story. It's important to know that this is what God desired from his people. This is what God desired from his priests, that they would seek after him in prayer, and that that would be a beautiful smell to him. Luke chapter 1 begins like this in verse 8. When his division was only on duty and he was serving as priest before him, talking about Zechariah, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the customs of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. It's interesting throughout this passage, we see some, some pointing of God's movement and some obedience of Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest at this time. There could have been over 1,500 priests within Jerusalem that were part of this structure that would cast a lot to determine who was the one this year that would go and, and go to this altar and pray before the Lord. Who had the privilege of doing it? And maybe years leading up to this, Zechariah, this is one of his, his big goals in life, right? Have you ever heard of big, hairy goals? Audastic goals in life, having these BHAGs? Well, that was one of the things they taught us in school, to have these big goals. Well, his big goal was that maybe one day I'll be able to be the one who gets picked to go and to pray. And that was the height of his experience. And so he goes into the altar and he begins the ritual, which probably as a young boy, he was taught exactly how to do this. Everything within uh, the motions, the words, the actions were all established so he knew exactly what to do. What he was not ready for was God to show up. Right? <clears throat> How many of us grew up in church? You know the actions. You know everything. Okay, we're going to sing some songs now. And this guy's going to speak out of God's word. And then we're going to sing another song. We're going to stand up, sit down, give an offering, and then go home. Right? Or have a potluck. One of those things. And you get into that rhythm. And you get into that, that kind of routine. Maybe as a child, that was what you grew up with, your custom. And now that's kind of your custom. And, and you just get used to it. And you show up. And, and maybe we would be shocked if God showed up. Or maybe God sends one of his servants, an angel, one of the high-level angels, the high-tiering angel, shows up to us. He shows up in that midst of that action. What is the action? He is praying and seeking God. He's in the midst of seeking the one who created him. He is going to that place he is, he is pursuing the one. And the angel shows up. 
And the angel reveals that he knows of his situation. He knows of the dilemma of their lives. Here's Zachariah and Elizabeth are old in age and yet unable to have children. If you study culture, you'll know that in that time and that place, not to have children was one of the worst possible things. I actually learned that uh, there's some scholars that believe that the leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, would say for a woman not to have children was the worst possible offense of all. That it was worse than going to hell. And so can you imagine, you probably know someone, I know people where they're unable to have children, the pain that that brings. Maybe even on Christmas time, that's a, that's a pain for them to be there, to recognize, ah, why not me? And those that suffer with those issues. And here, God recognized their pain. He recognized where they were at. We should never be shocked when God knows our story. We should never be shocked when God has empathy and love and compassion for where we are and what we're going through. You know, there's a time where you just, you, you persevere, but even in persevering, God's not saying, suck it up, soldier, right? He's saying, I love you. I'm with you. There's something I have for you. Keep moving forward. I love you desperately. So God shows up in prayer. In your life, has God showed up in prayer? In my life, God shows up in prayer. If there's one place God shows up, for me, it's on the mission field and in prayer more than anywhere else. And so to seek him, if I want to find God, all I got to do is start talking and listening to him. That's all we all have to do. So here's what he says. Gabriel tells him you will have a son named John. John will be the predecessor to Jesus. John will be the, the Elijah. He will declare the coming of the Messiah. He is told this, and here is the response of Zechariah. This might be the response of you. This is, at times, the response I feel I have that I don't want to have. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Think about what he just said. I'm an old man. My wife is old. How is it possible, how is it scientifically possible? I want to see how you're going to do this uh, with how the, the chemistry and the psychology and the physiology of all this, how's this all going to work? Because I know that stuff and it's not part of it. It's outside of that sphere of my understanding. Uh, how can I be sure what you're telling me is accurate and I can trust it? Trust God with my life. Trust God with my finances. Trust God with my pain. Trust God with my suffering. How, how do I know that works? How do I know I can actually hand it over to him? How do I know that, that he will bring peace, that he will bring hope, that he will bring joy? Because I know the pain, and I know how the pain works, and it doesn't feel like, it doesn't seem like that's going to work. Because in my experience, and what I've done in life, I don't think that this is going to work out, angel. God, how are you going to do this? I believe disappointment leads to doubt. I think we've all been disappointed in life. 
I think we found ourselves in valleys. We found our, our, our lives not where we thought they would end up. We find ourselves in challenges that we didn't foresee. We find ourselves in problems we don't know how to solve. We find ourselves hurt and disappointed and broken. And that disappointment leads to doubt. How can I trust? How can I believe? How can I have faith? And so this morning, God gives us an answer. He gives us a direction. Verse 19, the angel, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. And we find out later, Gabriel is second. He's up there in the chain for angels. Who stands in the presence of God. He stands in the presence of God. The God who created the universe, this vast, unknowable, unreachable universe that we live in, he created it, he knows everything about it. I stand next to him, and I was sent to speak to you and to tell you the good news. Not bad news, not maybe news, not hopefully news, not news that could happen, but the good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day that these things have taken place. Because you did not what? You did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. When we let the disappointment in our life lead to doubt, doubt leads to problems. Problems that don't die, problems that only grow. Frustration, irritation, aggravation, anxiety, stress, bad relationships, bad decisions. These are the things that doubt leads. Because when we stop doubting that God is good, we stop doubting that God can change things, we stop doubting that God is in control, and we think that the enemy is winning, and we think that sin has power, and we think that the bad is just going to get worse, well, that compounds our thoughts, that compounds our actions, and it leads to more despair. As I was reading this, I thought, I wish an angel would come to me and shut my mouth sometimes. <laughs> James tells us, be quick to listen and slow to speak. I'm quick to speak and slow to listen. We all need to work on this. Because really, if Zachariah would have just like, mm -hmm, interesting, mm -hmm, interesting, he wouldn't have lost his ability to speak. <laughs> you know, he's like Peter. He just had to open his mouth. And whatever came out, he had to deal with the consequences. But the beauty of it is, is he didn't condemn him and say, okay, I'm not using you anymore. Right? He didn't say, I'm done with you. You should have listened. You had your chance. I'm turning my back on you and never coming back. No, there was a consequence, but the consequence wasn't rejection. Right? The consequence is, I'm going to help you because you're not helping yourself right now. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little nudge in the right direction. But doubt definitely has its problems. But here we find the beauty of it. Time passes and his, Elizabeth gets pregnant. It's a miracle. And the beautiful thing is that she's meeting with Mary. Mary comes up. Jesus is within her womb. And we're told that as a fetus in the mother of Elizabeth, that John leaps for joy as a fetus. Do you realize this is the first moment of praise and worship in the recorded Bible is from a fetus? A little child within the womb celebrating the goodness that a Messiah will be born that will save people from their sins. That we don't have to be Ebenezer Scrooge anymore. 
We don't have to be bah humbug. We don't have to doubt anymore. But we can have faith and hope and peace and grace. That we can overcome the challenges that God has laid that allowed into our lives. And here's what he says. This is what he says about this baby, his son, that is to be born, that was promised by God for a purpose. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in the darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Do you see that his disappointment was transformed into confident faith? This moment in Zechariah's life transformed him. Think about all of those years of carrying that weight, especially for Elizabeth. Carrying that weight, carrying that weight. And they just carried it, and it got bigger and harder and much more of a load. And then he has this experience where he's seeking God in prayer. He's seeking the Lord. At this moment, the angel shows up and has given him the hope that he needed, the hope his wife needed, the hope Elizabeth needed for that freedom in her heart, to be released from that pain and that guilt, to be released from that tension that she had been carrying, to be released to a place of peace and hope within her life. And now he returns to declare, instead of using his mouth for doubt, he uses his mouth for confident faith. His words move from doubt to testimony. Amen. They move from how is this going to work to it's going to work and it's going to be amazing. Amen. Do you see the transformation? It's the transformation that Christ came to earth to give us. From death to life, from blindness to being able to see, from, from being able to walk when we were lame. One of the most powerful parts in Dickinson's book is when uh, little Tim says, uh, he says, I'm, I'm hoping that, that they saw me at church today because he has a cane and he ends up uh, dying in the, the visions. So he's a very sickly young boy who can't walk right. He says, I hope they saw me at church today. And it reminds them of the one who made the lame to walk and the blind to see. The boy is the example. Zechariah recognized who his son would become. He recognized that the promise was worth trusting. The promise was worth believing in. The promise was something you could have confidence in. A confidence that would lead to faith and trust in the Lord. James 1, 5, and 6 says this. Now, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubt, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven tossed by the wind. This morning, maybe you don't doubt the existence of God. You've finalized your belief in his existence. You don't doubt that Christ is the only way. You've made that a firm commitment in your life. But you are doubting him when it comes to that burden you carry. You are doubting him when it comes to peace or joy 
or being able to overcome. Maybe you're doubting him in a financial, physical, emotional, relational area of your life. You're doubting that he can actually bring freedom. You're doubting that he can actually resolve that issue. You see, doubt doesn't just come in the form of, does God exist? It's much bigger than that. We doubt who God says he is and what he says he can do. It is really challenging in life not to rely more on yourself than God. I tend to rely more on myself than putting my faith and trust in God. I can do it. I can make it happen. And in, in a sense, whether I'm saying it or understanding it, I'm doubting God when I do that. When I begin to make it work, when I say, I'll fix this, I'll do this, I'll finish this my way, it's a doubting of God's ability, of his authority, of his kingship, of his love, of his grace, of his mercy. When I look at another human and say, well, they'll never change, that's doubting God's ability to change a human being. When I look at my own heart and the pain and, and maybe the bitterness I've kept there, if I hold on to it, doubting God can heal that and take that from me, that's doubt on him. This morning, we need to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. We need to start doubting those doubts. We need to say goodbye to the doubts. And we need to start believing our beliefs. We need to start putting our faith and trust in our beliefs. Because what Zechariah did is he says, I'm not going to doubt anymore. I'm going to doubt those doubts. They're not worth worrying about. I'm going to start believing my beliefs. And I believe in an awesome God. I believe in a loving God. I believe in a God who's gone through Christ to prepare a place for me that where he is, I may be also. That is my belief. So what then can happen to me in this life? Paul talks about that this current struggle doesn't compare to the wonders and glory that God has prepared for us. In the midst of the, the battle, in the midst of the struggle, say praise God, not bah humbug. Right? Bah humbug is the word of the doubter. Bah humbug is the word of the one who says God can't make it right. God can make all things right in his time, in his place. This morning, if we say we're thankful, what are we thankful for? How about let's be thankful for the love of God? The love that is steadfast, the love that is merciful, the love that is gracious. How do we show our love for God? You know, you think about it, and I do this, a lot of times we think, well, I need to do something special for God. I need to do something special for God. No, God is the one who does the special stuff. And he invites us into it. He invites us to do the thing he's doing. Really, the thing we struggle with is doubt. Because every, if you think about it, every decision you make, if it's a godless decision, then it's a decision of doubt. And there's so many of those that we have in life. Will I doubt him in this? Will I doubt him in this? Will I doubt him in this? Let's do that no more. Let's be like Zachariah. Maybe the moment has come in our life where our mind is transformed. 
And now we're going to live in the confident peace and joy of our Savior. I believe disappointment can only be overcome by grateful faith. Do you have grateful faith today? Grateful faith. I'm so thankful that God is there when I'm crying and he's there when I'm laughing. I'm so thankful that God never gave up on me even when I doubted him. I am so thankful that God loves me and is patient with me and not wanting for anyone to be lost or separated from him. How do we apply this to our life if it's true and, and is necessary? I believe first, we need to pursue God in prayer daily. Prayer isn't just for Sunday. Prayer isn't just in public. In reality, Jesus, when he taught his disciples, he didn't teach them a lot of things. He didn't teach them how to preach. He didn't teach them how to do church. He didn't teach them how to sing. He didn't teach them a lot of things that we do in church. He did teach them how to pray, right? He said, here's how you should pray. And when he said, when you pray, don't do it on the street where everyone's watching you. Don't do it in public so you get all kinds of praise. Don't do it like the Pharisees who are doing it and they're getting their reward. Go to a hidden closet. Go to a place no one knows you're at and seek the Father there. Seek the Father when no one knows you're seeking the Father. Pray. Go on a walk. Go into nature and experience the awe and wonder of who the Creator is. Sing a praise song. Sing a song from your heart. Read from his word, the Psalms, the Proverbs. Approach his throne of grace with love and compassion, knowing that he hears you and loves you. But do it every day. Don't put it off till, I'll do that Sunday. No, do it today. Do it every day. Commit every day to pursuing God in prayer. And when you do this, always be ready for him to talk to you. Don't be surprised when he shows up. Don't be surprised when God speaks into your life. Don't be surprised when he heals a hurt. Don't be surprised when he reveals that he's with you and that there's a purpose for the hurt and he's allowed it because there's a greater purpose. But don't be surprised when he gives you a sense of peace about all the things that are happening in your life. The good, the bad, the indifferent. Remind yourself that you need to doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. These doubts are destroying me. I'm going to stop listening. These doubts don't help me. They're not my friend. My doubts are not making my life better. My doubts aren't building my relationships. My doubts aren't making me in any way a better person. So why am I inviting them into my heart and mind so often? I'm going to start believing my beliefs. I'm going to believe that I'm a child of the king today. I'm going to believe if I flee youthful lusts, I will be able to get away. I will believe that God is with me and that he has a plan for my life and that if I trust him in all the areas of my life, he then becomes responsible for all areas of my life. But it becomes a faith, a decision to consciously say, I trust you, God, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make sense. I'm going to trust you because my belief is in you and my belief is in what you can do. And then after you've done these things, don't forget to thank him. You go on trips and you say, God, please protect us on the trip. And then he protects you. Please help me with this. And then he helps you with it. Sometimes we forget to come back and say, thank you for doing that. 
that was very kind of you. <laughs> You're an awesome God. That you would care about me this much to answer my prayer and love. But thank him. Thank him. I would encourage anyone who wants to follow Christ that thanking God on a daily basis is one of the most important things you'll need to do. Thank him, even when it doesn't really feel comfortable. Thank him. It breaks through the pain in your heart, it breaks through the pain in your mind, and it gives grace and peace to your life. And finally, be generous. This Christmas season, everyone's got an agenda. Everyone has a, a day timer that's filled. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your kindness. Be generous with your words. Be generous with your support. Be generous with what you have the ability to give. Be generous in every way that you can. Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. He gave us the greatest gift that any of us could receive. And so for us to give that gift to others is the greatest gift that we can give on Christmas. If you want to give your niece, your nephew, your son, your daughter, your spouse, your parents the greatest gift, and they have not received it yet, the gift of salvation is the greatest gift any of them can receive. I would encourage you to have confidence and believe your beliefs and share your faith in a loving way so that they too can have a faith that transforms lives, gives them victory and hope. Two weeks ago, I met with the deacons and we talked about how can we be more generous? How can we not just talk about being generous, but actually be generous? And so as we talked about it, we discussed these things and we were encouraged that this week what we would have you do as a project of our church, as a challenge of our church, whatever you have determined that you would give as an offering to the church next Sunday, now, we want you to give to the Lottie Moon offering, so don't not give to the Lottie Moon offering. Whatever you had determined next Sunday, Christmas Sunday, to give to the church, we want to challenge you to break that up into five separate sections. And each day this week, when you get up in the morning, say, God, what would you have me do with this today? Bring someone in my life that I can bless with this. The challenge is that God is going to take care of this church. We're not afraid. We're not going to live in fear. We're going to doubt our doubts and believe our beliefs. But you know, there's something to actually giving someone that God has given you the calling to encourage, to support. There's something powerful in that. And so if you're interested in this, if you're interested in this challenge this week, whatever you had determined in your heart to give next Sunday for Christmas, if you would break that up into five parts and, and pray each day, who should I give this to? Lord, who should I give this to? Who should I bless with this today? Because the world needs to see us living out our faith. The world needs to know that we're not hidden in this room right now. The world needs to know that we're not in our bunker waiting for the bomb to go off. The world needs to know that we're on a mission. And they are the mission. To lovingly reach them with the gospel. 
that they too can have hope eternal, that they too can have a peace that passes all understanding, that they too can have a, a joy in the midst of the storms of life, and they can overcome the greatest challenges they've had in their lives through the power of Jesus Christ. And so that's the challenge. That's our commitment. Let's be known because we know the one who saves. Let's share the good news, the good news that can be trusted, the good news that transforms our lives. Let's commit it to God in prayer and ask him to lead us this week. Let's pray.